I'm Damian Bulwa, Metro Editor at The Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, our rising San Francisco Bay. If you've ever looked at a map projecting sea level rise, you've seen that a lot of our shore is threatened, perhaps even your home. Reporter John King is here to talk about what is being done in response. I'll ask him what San Francisco is doing to protect its downtown, and I'll ask him why developers are still building at all in the danger zone. This podcast is part of Climate Week, in which The Chronicle is joining other media outlets to highlight the issue of global warming. For all our coverage, go to sfchronicle.com slash climate challenge. But first, John King, right after this. John King, thanks for coming back. Always a pleasure. John, you are our urban design critic on one hand, and you have become one of our main climate reporters on the other. Why is that? Well, back in several years ago, I found myself thinking more and more about how do you plan the Bay Area given the likelihood of sea level rise? You know, urban design critic isn't just architecture or parks or plazas, or the width of sidewalks. It's how does this big region, the Bay Area, fit together? And the Bay Area fits around the Bay. And if indeed the Bay is going to be three feet higher, or six feet higher, or 10 feet higher by 2100, we need to start thinking now about how do we plan this area so people can still live here and in fact enjoy the Bay, other than seeing it washed by their window in the yeah, I wanted to start by asking you about these maps that we, we print in the Chronicle all the time, and people have probably seen them. They show the estimates for where the water is going to be right. in a decade, in 40 years. How should people be looking at those maps and sort of regarding the Bay Area? Well, it's tricky. There's no The problem with sea level rise is that everybody has slightly different numbers. Everybody has slightly different time frames. And everybody credible admits they have no idea of how fast this will move, except it will probably increase in the pace after 2050. But so the maps, I think, are hugely important in terms of saying this area, if we don't do anything, will be underwater. East Palo Alto, a lot of that is basically at sea level. Parts of Richmond are basically at sea level. Anyone who's been on the island of Alameda knows that you have not ascended the Alps to get there. You know, parts of San Francisco, the financial district is mostly on fill. It is pretty much at sea level. All these places will be very dramatically affected if the tides climb, which every study says they will. It's credible. And the thing is, it's not just the water gently lapping up. It's The water is higher, plus on a high tide day, plus on a stormy day. You know, you start getting storm surges and three feet, which sounds, oh, we can deal with that, might become six or nine feet that day. So anyway, the maps are good because they show you what the most vulnerable areas are. But it's not like everyone's just going to ignore this as it's happening. You know, you can't have water rushing up Market Street twice a day to Sansom Street and say, wow, this is crazy. It's so different from when I was a kid. (laughs) No, it would help my commute a little bit, I think. (laughs) That's it. That's it. You know, so I think the maps are good in terms of showing the vulnerability. However, the assumption is we'll do something about it in the meantime. 
Yeah, so big F in terms of if nothing is done. Exactly, exactly. I want to ask you about uh, what you've been writing about ways that the folks in the Bay Area, the steps they're taking. But first, we... You were writing about a lot of big projects in the mm-hmm. Bay Area, including a plan on Treasure Island to fill it with housing. And I think a lot of readers look at that and say, why are we building sure. in low-lying areas? Yeah, it's it's interesting. You can really see how public awareness of sea level rise has changed over the last 15 years or so, where Treasure Island's been actively planned. Because 15 years ago, Man, I'm getting old. When you're talking about Treasure Island, people would say, that's crazy. What are you doing talking about putting six or 8,000 homes out there? Don't you know what the Bay Bridge is like? Yeah, exactly. Now it's, that's crazy. What are you talking about putting six or 8,000 homes out there? Haven't you heard about sea level rise? <laughs> you know, so it, it shows people are connecting. But the argument that decision makers make with Treasure Island in particular, but also there's a naval station, I think, on the tip of Alameda Island. San Francisco Pier 70 and Old Steelworks, the last project it did was the BART tube. That's how long it was out of commission. Uh, there's, there's a lot of development There's going development there. there going on right now. Candlestick Point. Candlestick Point is planned. India Basin. Uh, the Giants parking lot for the ballpark. I mean, that is going to be developed as a mixed-use neighborhood. All those areas, the argument is, okay, let's say that sea level rise is three feet higher in 2070 and five feet higher in 2100. We have so many pressing needs right now for housing, things like that. Do we just ignore all this close-in area? Or do we think, how can we design it in a way that's adaptable as the sea level rises and create tens of thousands of housing units on what often is publicly owned land so we can have, we can have requirements in terms of affordable housing and things. With Treasure Island, and if you go out right now, you can see it happening. A lot of soil's being carted in. Lots and lots of soil are brought on barges. Who knows how it gets there? And then it is being pounded down to super compact it. And you've got everything being, the ground plane is all being lifted up above flood projection levels and sea level rise projections. At at Treasure Island, because it's kind of the poster child for this, you're going to have a park that's 300, 350 feet deep from the western shoreline. So it's not like now where, well, now you just see it fenced off dirt. But it's not like you've got this little walkway along the edge of the island and then roads there. You're going to have a park that is deeper than a football field is long before you get to any housing, any roads, anything like that. And that's essentially an area that's kind of designed as like a buffer zone and a retreat zone. So for now, you lift it up. And you put cute little berms in, but gee, if projections say that in 2080 the berms need to be two feet higher, you re-landscape it. It's it's crazy, but I mean, it's it's what they're working on. And is part of the arithmetic that the the cities and the the experts are making and the developers Mm -hmm. is that something is going to be done to to solve the issue? 
I don't think to solve the issue, it's more we'll figure out how to deal with it. And, weirdly, people will accept the fact it's happening. That instead of this cataclysmic, oh my God, what if things go up 10 feet? Well, if it goes up 10 feet, that's really a problem. But it's more if things, if you do see things coming up, it will be, well, how do we live with this if we want to live here? I mean, the same way that people freak out about earthquakes. It's like, why would someone live knowing that between the time this podcast is taped and goes on the air, so to speak, there could be a huge earthquake? Like, well, you live with it. I mean, it, it sounds crazy, but, you know, that, that is what we're going to be dealing with in the decades ahead. Sure. So this week, once again, you've kind of taken stock of what the Bay Area is doing. Uh, what are they doing? Give us kind of an overview of uh, whether we're responding to this. The Bay Area decision makers, advocates and everything, they're having lots of meetings, lots of working groups, lots of studies, voters to their credit. San Francisco voters have voted $425 million in taxes for sea level to work on the seawall along the Embarcadero. It was, what, 80, 80% it, yes, support, yes, right? It was around there. And it's, it's the down payment. You know, it's like the first 10% of the money. But you need the money to get going on the work. And then um, Bay Area-wide voters approved a bond, the first nine-county bond in Bay Area history to create like $25 million a year in kind of Bay improvement money in general, but a lot of it's really steering towards sea level rise. So work is being done. The problem is if you focus on sea level rise, it's this huge, enormous, unknown, slow moving catastrophe. That's the phrase everyone likes to use. <laughs> yeah. And you can look at it and say, okay, we talked about creating 100,000 square feet of marshes around the bay by 2030 so that they can kind of serve as sponges and get settled in so as the water keeps rising, they can absorb the water and kind of retreat, blah, blah, blah. Um, we've still got 26,000 acres totally unaccounted for and 18,000 acres in the planning stage. So we're probably going to fall short. Well, the problem is a lot of people would say, well, sea level rise sounds important, but I'm more worried about where my kids are going to live. I'm more worried about this homeless problem on the street of very, what seem to be dangerous, mentally ill people, much different than just someone without a house, but more someone who seems threatening on the street. I'm more worried about perpetual gridlock in the Bay Area. You're telling me the most important thing to worry about is how high the water is going to be in 2100. You know, so, I mean, it's, there's a lot of frustration that we're not moving fast enough among people who really care about this, but the Bay area has a lot of front burner issues competing for attention. Well, and, and including reducing carbon emissions, which is the other part of this, this issue. Yeah. I, I am not a science reporter, nor do I play one on TV. <laughs> and, the problem for me doing this stuff is the science keeps getting more and more precise. So I worked on a some number of series and a number of pieces in 2016. Now, three years later, everything, it's not just that the numbers have changed, the ways of measuring them have changed. So now you've got variable levels within the variable projections depending on the variable rates of 
carbon emission reduction or increase. And, you know, as someone who's trying to think, well, how do I work with our graphics people to do a good, straightforward map? It's like, which numbers do we choose? Sure. And getting back to the maps, people really want a definite. They want to know where it's at, not only for planning, but they want to know, is my house underwater? The first time we did a big map in the paper, I give credit to the Bay Conservation Development Commission. They really started pushing this issue around 2005, 2007. We ran a front page map and it was like a sensation. Uh, It was a real novelty. Now it's kind of a real junkie could look at the map and say, wow, the difference between the Chronicle's worst case scenario map and the one that it had 10 years ago, there's a lot more of Alameda Island gone. But the basic shock of, whoa, Mission Bay used to be a bay and it could be a bay again if nothing's done. You know, that's, it is tricky. We all want to know what the future is and we can't. All right. Before I let you go, I just want to ask you about something I think a lot of people identify with, the Embarcadero Seawall, which you mentioned. Where are we at with that $425 million bond? Does that pay for it? Yeah, I really give credit to the Port of San Francisco um, and the late Mayor Ed Lee, who saw the importance of this. The seawall is like a twofer. There's the long-term problem of sea level rise, but there's the short-term problem of this is a kind of not great wall that was built a century ago of pretty much concrete rubble and dirt. And what if there's an earthquake? You know, so we've got this study where the port has really all the port and the city have put a lot of money into it already doing a first round of studies. Voters approved $425 million which approves a really detailed set of studies coming out earlier, early next year to determine where are the most pressing threats in terms of earthquakes. What do we shore up with our first 425 million? Mm. But the 425 million also allows planning to go forward to hopefully tap into federal money. There's a big flood risk study now that we'll probably be embarking on with the US Army Corps of Engineers. U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. All this money is to get more money. I mean, the, the cost is upwards of $5 billion is the estimate. The city says, but there's a lot of value behind that, so it's a good <laughs> investment. And then there's also the trick of everybody loves those cool old piers along the Embarcadero. Look at the ferry building. Look at all these little finger piers. Well, if you raise the seawall five feet, you're raising the Embarcadero five feet, what do you do with the buildings on the Embarcadero? I mean, it starts to get crazy. Yeah, and as you said earlier, we're building more and more. So the value is rising of what's within the yes, seawall. Yes, yes, exactly. All right, John King, thanks for coming on again. My pleasure. And now I'll go back to writing about buildings. <laughs> thanks to our guest, reporter John King, to King Kaufman and Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.